Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. <laughs> and I'm Aldwin. Uh, I should say welcome again <laughs> because we started recording and all was going well on our episode except I wasn't recording anything at all because I pushed <laughs> the button and didn't realize that the um, data card was on protected mode. Listen, after 80 plus episodes, something to that effect... You can make a mistake like that. It's all good in the hood. <laughs> like like what when I was in Killarney and I brought my recording devices so we could record one of the Wimbledon 10s and uh, didn't bring the card at all. <laughs> you know what? We managed to figure it out. And that's what we do here on Ready Play. Yes. So we're figuring it out again and we're going to start over again. <laughs> but today we're very excited because... Um, I'm on vacation now. That's when you're hearing this. I'm away. And uh, <laughs> we're going to be asking each other five questions, um, none of which we had heard until 10 minutes ago when we started recording, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to redo the... F we only got through uh, one question each, and we're going to do those over. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then uh, we're going to dive into the rest of them. Yeah, it's going to be a deep dive into the abyss of tennis knowledge. Yeah, today. and um, it's kind of about the season, kind of about some different things, uh, future, and what's been going on here in 2021. Yeah, it's the headlines of 2021. Every question I believe that all of our viewers and followers on our social media platforms have been pondering about for the past few months. We're just going to lay it all out here for you all on this fun episode. Yeah, we've used our sensory skills to think about the things that we know <laughs> that you've been thinking about, and we are now translating them into questions for this very special episode. It's like a very special episode of Blossom. <laughs> I cannot believe you just threw in a Blossom reference. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Jeopardy. That's the... Ah, and Mayim's the Mayim's <laughs> the, the host. host. <laughs> yeah. Okay, throwing right. it to you. Okay, question number one. I haven't um, heard this one before. <laughs> <laughs> Except that I have. <laughs> okay, so babe, a couple of days ago, Andy Murray was in the headlines. Mm -hmm. Aside from losing his ring, aside from uh, making it deep or doing well at Indian Wells. The other reason why he was in their headlines was because of his cheeky underarm serve against Alcaraz. Now, I've been noticing, I don't know if you've been noticing, but lately it seems like a lot more men on the tour are employing the underarm serve. You know, first you've got Bublik, then you've got Nick Kyrgios, and, you know, I think there's kind of like a spotting of men that have employed it from time to time. Do you think that the underarm serve is a new tactic? And do you think that it's annoying? <laughs> <laughs> not uh, to not to lead you in any way. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, first, I would say part of why people are employing it is for the entertainment factor. The two players that you talked about specifically or you mentioned specifically, I think are doing it perhaps for the crowd, perhaps to keep their player, their opponent honest. Um, those two in particular seem to employ it multiple times in matches. Mm. Um, I believe Murray, when he said that he um, employed the underarm serve to keep 
um, Alcaraz honest because it seemed like he was playing really far back. Alan Nadal, his idol. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I do believe it to be a genuine uh, tactic in a match. I don't think anyone's ever going to just underarm serve once a game. Like I don't think that that's ever going to happen because people will catch on to it and it won't be, it won't ever become a, a, a shot that's truly an advantage for the player if overused. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a legitimate shot. It's a legitimate play. It's meant to keep the opponent honest and perhaps entertain. And uh, don't think it's really much more than that. Ah, okay. So you, to answer your second question, you don't find it annoying. I do not uh, find it annoying. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you really quickly. I find it amusing when I watch someone like Bublik use it. I think it's to get it under the skin of the other opponent, obviously. And I think when you're a spectator, gamesmanship like that, although super annoying on court, is really fascinating to watch because, you know, you have players that have different levels of mental (laughs) strength and you know, levels of keeping their ish together. (laughs) Some players don't, other players do. And, you know, it's just kind of like a car wreck. You want to see it (laughs) come to fruition. (laughs) Yeah. I think people tune into Bublik and Kyrgios matches waiting for it. Like they're waiting for when they hit the underarm serve. Yeah. Yeah. Because they expect it from them now. Yeah. Yeah, and um, the other player is Davidovich Fakina. I remember him in in a couple matches um, employing it. Maybe it was a match against Christian Garin, and Garin was really annoyed about it. I'm telling you right now, if you ever do that against me in like a way, I will be so upset with you. Because <laughs> you find it annoying. I find it so annoying. It's like, okay, I find it amusing watching it, but when I'm on the court and I'm expecting you to hit a hard serve, like, girl, we're not at the Shanghai Masters. This is like, you know, a Sunday at 3 p.m. at East York, and you're going to try to hit an underarm serve against me? I'm like, girl, bye. No thanks. <laughs> how is it? How is that any different from me intentionally hitting the le- uh, the, the neck cord on a forehand? All it's time? not. It's not. <laughs> that Both are equally annoying. <laughs> uh, okay, my first question. Mm-hmm. And these are in no particular order, everybody. (laughs) And again, we have not shared these questions with the other. Okay. Uh, There's a handful of guys who've made a Grand Slam final but have not won one in the era of the big three. So Raonic, Anderson, Nishikori, Dimitrov hasn't even made a final. He's made semis. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) uh, has made a couple of semis. So I've included him here. Who of them... Uh, do you think has the best shot of making another deep run? And then I have a follow-up. Okay. Um, Let's talk about Raonic first because he's our Canadian boy. You can X him out. Bye, girl. (laughs) You're not winning another slam. Or you're not... You don't have a chance at winning another slam or going deep. And I'm just being, you know, honest. Honest. I'm just being honest. Real tea. Just real tea. Listen, when he made the final at Wimbledon... We as Canadian tennis fans really rallied behind him, obviously, because he's our boy. Um, And you have said on the the podcast many times that it was Raonic's energy, John McEnroe-esque, like, you cannot be serious attitude. (laughs) And that energy that really, you know, gave him, like, put him into the next level that got him to that final that I have not seen since. You know, he's done well at a couple of 500 level tournaments you know a couple 250 level tournaments especially when he had that whack hair that whack curly hair coming back from covid (laughs) but i haven't heard from him in a while and just like you and i who are gentlemen of a certain age you know um brownish is not getting any younger and things just get progressively more difficult for you as you get older for a plethora of reasons so girl Thank you for hoisting the Canadian flag for us during your time, but it's a no for us. Oh, you've written him off. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And he could he could go he could win Wimbledon next year and he could come on the podcast and like tear me down. I'd be all <laughs> I'd be all up for that. Okay. <laughs> um who else have you got there? Uh Anderson Nishikori Dimitrov. And Anderson bye. <laughs> You know, love you. Thank you for being an ally, but you got a wife and kids. You have other more pressing issues. <laughs> you can make a third or fourth round, bank a couple hundred thousand dollars, call it a day. You're good. See you on uh, Tennis Channel when you're commentating in three years. Okay? <laughs> love you, but bye. Um, Nishikori would be the one I would have the most kind of belief in. He doesn't have a big shot per se, but he does everything just above average. <laughs> I don't know if that's a glowing review of Nishikori or not. But, I mean, unfortunately, as you mentioned, he has, you know, he is a tennis player. He was his best during the era of the big three. You're making this really hard for me. I, of the players that you mentioned, who has the best chance of making another deep run? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to say it's Nishikori. It's okay. That's my final answer. It's going to be Nishikori, but just like he experienced during the time of Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic, he's going to make a deep run and lose either in the semis or in the finals, but now against one of the new big three Medvedev, Tsitsi, or Zverev. Yeah. So he's just going to be perpetual semifinalist, perhaps finalist. Yeah. Is my, is my answer. Yeah. There's those guys who have now injected themselves and sort of surpassed those guys who should have been making deep runs and it's going to be hard for a Raonic, Anderson, Nishikori, or even Dimitrov, although Dimitrov is playing really well. He's sort of on a bit of an upswing this, this past uh, Indian Wells. Yeah. Surprise, but such a happy surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, my follow-up to this is of the guys who have won in that era, Marie, uh-huh. Vavrinka, Delpo, mm. Chilich. Who has the best shot of making another deep run at a slam? Okay, Chilich, bye. <laughs> uh, Delpo, sorry about this, babe, because Delpo's your man. He is. Delpo's your man forever. Girl, bye. He's he's a bye to me. See, yeah. see you later. Bisexual, Thank you for hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for showing up. We love you, but you really did a lot for the sport. And have fun on Argentinian tennis channel. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, who's left? Vavrinka and Murray. The, okay, the, the, the two with three slams each. Okay. Honestly, Vavrinka needs to stop taking selfies on IG. We've seen that face before. We know that you work out. We know that you're sweaty. We've seen that face. <laughs> so, you know, I think that if you took less selfies and dedicated yourself more to like recouping and recovering, wow, I'm really, I'm hard today. <laughs> Babe, you can do it. You can win another slam because I have the same belief in Vavrinka as I do in Andy Murray. And, you know, our IG feed for the past three or four days has all been about Andy can do it again. And as you mentioned on um, the Indian Wells podcast, you know, he pushed Tsitsipas to five sets at the U.S. Open. Right. So this guy can do it. He's got the goods. He's got the dedication. He's got the natural talent. Um, he's got that underarm serve (laughs) (laughs) and I would say that right now Andy could do it again for sure yeah I mean I I, I look at Andy Murray and how he's been playing and I looked at Dimitrov and how he's been playing Dimitrov seems to get worn out and he's been able to beat Hercatch and he beat Medvedev but Murray doesn't seem to to wear in terms of his energy yet and that's surprising for a guy who's had such horrible luck with his hip injuries and yeah um yeah I mean I'm impressed I will say one thing and it's you know I'm not gonna rip I'm not gonna pretend like it's my own thought but I did agree with it one of the commentators on tennis channel was saying if Andy is going to make a deep run at a slam again win another slam he has to modify his game to make the points shorter I mean when he was at his peak he was the virtual brick wall that every child played against when they were little kids every ball came back but as you get older you have to take more chances and you have to be a little bit more aggressive so he does have to find a new kind of path um but if there's anyone that's about tennis 
knowledge and tennis intelligence, I think it's Andy. I think Andy can do it. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the way he was hitting the backhand in that match, in that loss against Zverev, I felt like he was trying to find a new tactic. And he's he's a very, I think, smart about um, how he plans for a match against each opponent. So, um, mm. wow, we are been recording for 15 minutes and we're only through one question <laughs> see girl we could just we could just riff all day long <laughs> all day or day okay your turn okay i love this question i love this question i'm excited to ask you okay I'm okay nervous to answer but go ahead okay so if you take a look at the women's tour this year the most successful player on the women's tour number one player in the world taking a bit of a break obviously ash barty mm-hmm Hers is a game we haven't seen, I think, really ever before in women's tennis. She can truly do everything extremely well. She's got an incredible slice, flat backhand, loopy forehand. She can serve that ball wherever she wants and then come to net. Do you think we're entering a different era of women's, the style of women's tennis? Are we moving away from big babe tennis? And what do you think it's going to take for women to really contend um, in terms of winning slams as we move forward? Is it going to be essentially an Ash Barty kind of game? Is it going to be an Ash Bar- the Ash Barty show? Yeah, exactly. Is it going to be the Ash Barty party? I don't know. I mean, I do... We talked about this this year as we've talked about her in, in terms of her um, dominating through tournaments and really progressing. Her game is very beautiful to watch. She has, I think her her um, her two her two handed backhand is probably her weakest shot, and then her forehand can be a bit. She can spray it a bit, but other than that, um, you're right. She has all of the the weapons to to make deep runs. Mm-hmm. I don't know yet that there's another player like her. So if she's able to sort of continue this momentum. Um, in the coming years, uh, she could be a, a truly dominant player uh, in the era of like Celis and Graf and and Martina. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that I see any other player who could really be the, be in the same category as as her. Even though she, you know she's she's won two, she's only won two slams, I guess, for a career, but she's still pretty young. Mm-hmm. Uh, Osaka's won more. Mm-hmm. But um, we also haven't seen Osaka be dominant consistently. We've seen her, right. you know, progress well in slams, and then you kind of pick her to be the favorite. But she's won more slams than other tour titles, whereas um, Bar- <laughs> Barty has proven to be more um, that she can be more consistent. And you know, part of that I think is because of her skills in doubles as well that translated. So. We'll see how it goes. I mean, we've talked about a lot of different players and whether there will be a continued upside after they've won a slam. You know, Kennan has sort of faltered. Um, <laughs> Who? <laughs> um, Sviantek has won a couple titles, but she struggles on, on certain surfaces. Like, she's still, I think, trying to find her groove on hard courts, for example. But Halep has really an all court game and she's won titles on on all the surfaces so mm-hmm. yeah i think she could be really a dominant force for you know five to eight more years she's only 25 years old yeah i mean i always look at a tennis player's career and i feel like that window between 25 and 32 is pivotal you know that's kind of your peak playing time um championship winning time um not having as many injuries time and you know once you're past kind of 32 things can kind of go awry so yeah seven years is seven years is 28 slams (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i mean we'll see i just uh, my little kind of footnote to what you were saying is i'm not sure that on the women's side we're going to see the dominance of someone like serena williams for for a long ass time yeah if ever to be honest yeah and she she's had an interesting career too like she when you compare dominance and you know you 
you look at dominance in terms of slam titles she's had a, a lengthy career longer than some of the other women mm-hmm. uh, like Steffi you know one mm-hmm. more grand slams but Steffi won more grand slams in a shorter amount of time and that's just because mm-hmm. I think you know Serena took some time off the Williams sisters are well known for having other interests outside of the sport but mm-hmm. in terms of you know longevity um, breaking barriers nobody competes with the Williams sisters and particularly Serena so yeah they're a vibe yeah period period point blank and period <laughs> okay well sticking with the women then since we've gone, since we've gone there uh <laughs> it's sort of like another slam related question okay and um so we have multiple active dubs ta players who have won multiple slams okay we've got mugu we've got halep yeah Vitova, uh-huh. kerber sure Azarenka. Yes. Um, all except Mugu are in their 30s. Okay. How old is she? What did... How old She's did she 28, turn? I believe. Or 29. Yeah. Okay. So who is of those players? Uh-huh. And I've kept Osaka out of there because I think you and I can agree that she's probably going to at least win three or four more, if not more than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you think of those players, knowing how they've been playing the last year, year and a half, um, will win the next slam? The next one, like uh, yeah. the Australian Open? Oh, sorry. Who will who will be who will win? Um, of those, who will win a slam first? Ah, next. Um, and then who do you think of them will end their career with more? Interesting. Okay, so I'll tell you right off the bat, the person that's going to win the next slam among that group is the person that I don't predict on the show to win. <laughs> because if you followed our episode, our podcast, you know that every woman that I've selected to win a slam, I've always jinxed and they always peace out real early in the draw. <laughs> okay, let me let me think here. We've got Mugu. We've got Vika. Did you include Vika? Vika. Kavitova. Halep. Kavitova and Kerber. I'm going to say... You know what? Watching Mugu's play this week made me realize even more so than before that just like you said on last week's episode, her game at this moment is too one-dimensional to really compete at the highest levels. TBH. So love you, Mugu. Love your urban nights. You gotta go. <laughs> Ciao. Um, Kavitova always gives me a moment. She's a left-handed, brilliant tennis player, gifted with an incredible serve, an incredible forehand. I think that she's got the shot, a shot of winning um, a slam for sure. But I think in comparison to Halep and Kerber, I think of all of those women, Halep, Kerber, and maybe I would put Vika just beneath them. Halep and Kerber to me are the most, are the strongest mentally. And I think when it comes to winning a slam, you have to have obviously all of your elements together during that fortnight to succeed. And all, I'm going to say Halep. Sorry, I'm just going to say Halep. Halep has got that all-court game. She can translate it to whatever service she wants. Um, she's got the mental fortitude. Thank you, Darren Cahill, for instilling that in her. You know, publicly, uh, they have split up. But I think that Halep has got enough skills on her own to really vie for a Grand Slam title. So of all of the women in that group, I'm going to answer your question by saying Halep would be the next to win a slam title and the follow-up question to that is who is going to have won the most at the end of their career i'm going to say mugu oh. <laughs> i'm kidding no, no i'm kidding <laughs> i'm totally kidding um you know what listen i we had vika on the show vika's had a bit of a crummy year except for obviously indian wells as we all know she's played so well at indian wells so my heart wants to say Vika 
because there's just something about her drive, her energy, her zest, her commitment to the sport. And I actually really love her attitude of like zoning out social media and just focusing on the tennis. Um, but honestly, if I were to look at it, uh, if I were to look at it objectively, I'm going to say Halep again. Mm-hmm. I think Halep is going to be the one that finishes her career with more slam titles than Kvitova, Kerber, uh, Azarenka, and Mugu. What yeah. about you? What do you it, think, girl? I mean, that's it is tough. I do, you know, if we go down the list, Mugu does need to add a bit of another dimension to her game. Mm-hmm. Maybe work in some slices, maybe figure out how to reset herself in points where she's out of them. Kvitova is always dangerous and can always yes make make a deep run, but she hasn't won a slam <laughs> in seven years. Mm. The the two that have made a final most recently are Azarenka and Halep. Mm-hmm. So, but Azarenka hasn't won one in eight years, mm-hmm. um, and Halep and Kerber are the most recent ones. And Halep played the most beautiful match in beating Serena at Wimbledon. Yeah. So I would say probably Halep and Kerber. And yeah, Kerber among those women has the most Slam titles at three. Yeah. I mean, Kerber came out of nowhere. I remember when she won her first slam title, I was like, really? Ew. <laughs> I mean, like, if she can win a slam, I can win a slam. But I've grown to love and appreciate her grit and determination. Yeah. And she had a terrible year last year, and we were dragging her. And she's, <laughs> she's reemerged, and she's found her joy again. And she is one person who's beaten Serena twice in yeah. in slam finals. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I would pick Halep to win the most and either Halep or Kerber to win the next one. Oh, okay. So we kind of agree there. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um perfect segue. I want to stay with the women. We're having a women heavy episode question episode, which is great. Um I'm not sure whether you heard, but Pam Triver, Pam Triver, Pam Shriver <laughs> said that Serena is one injury away from really hanging it up. We talked about Serena earlier in the year in Australia, and there was a lot of hubbub and hullabaloo around her match with Naomi. What? <laughs> and, and her waving to the, the crowd after the match? Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to speak for you when I say that Serena has been a discussion in in terms of potential Grand Slam winners up until this year's Australian Open. And for me personally, she's kind of fallen off the radar. Now, everyone and their mother has been making um, a story out of her trying to get to 24 to tie Margaret Court. Mm-hmm. Point blank. Do you think she's got one slam left? Ooh. 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 Hopefully Miles isn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I know the answer. I know your answer cuz you've you've said this before mm-hmm. in a previous episode. It's hard to say because if I mean she obviously has to be healthy, so that's a, a caveat. So assuming that she's healthy, Assuming that she could play at a similar level as she did in Australia, where everyone was seeing that she seemed to be in pretty good fitness form and she was able to run down a lot more balls than maybe we had seen her do previously um, in like a year or two. Mm -hmm. And she seemed to be actually having fun on the court in Australia. And if she has the right uh, draw... And mm. she's able to work mm. her way into the tournament and into form because I think that's always important for her that in the earlier rounds that she has some tough matches and she's able to work through them. If all of that stuff can happen, then I <laughs> would say I would say yes. I would say th- her best chance would be at either the Australian Open or at Wimbledon. Mm, I agree. I think her, I agree. I think her best chance is at the Australian Open. Clay is not her strongest surface. Um, The US Open is at the end of the year. And for, you know, you and I being 
40 years old-ish, that's a long-ass year to try yeah. and win the last Grand Slam. So, agreed. I think the Australian Open is her best shot. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny to say that the French Open's her her worst chance because she's also won that three times. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Um, uh. And she's won the U.S. Open six times. And I think has been in a couple other finals where she's lost. Sam Stozer. Nod to Sam. Nod to, nod to Sam. You know, just a quick little comment. It, what worries me is that she's been quite quiet on her social media. We haven't seen a lot of her posts. She normally posts. I mean, she does not a crazy poster. But um, we we do see her in her practices with Muradoglu. Mar- um, and we haven't seen that. So it makes me wonder what she's doing. I mean, maybe... She is taking some time to just kind of cleanse and not have, not be in the tennis sphere. But people still want her to achieve that 24, myself included. So it just makes us wonder what she's up to. Yeah. I mean, she's posting a lot of fashion shots on her Instagram and (laughs) perhaps prepping for the premiere of King Richard. Oh, yes, that's right. We should watch that. Yeah. Yeah. What, you know, what up movie studio? Send us an early showing of it. I so, know. So we can watch it and review it. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to stick with the women and in the theme of retirement, because this oh. is a nice segue. So okay. there's a number of women who um, have recently retired, um, okay. seemingly early. Okay. Uh, I think we have, who retired recently? Um, Burton's Kiki. Uh-huh. Obviously, Wozniacki. Sharapova, mm-hmm. Rodwanska. Right. So, so there's a whole, and I think there's a few, been a few others who have retired. Sibolkova. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst Sharapova has sort of avoided the court and she's loving life in California, <laughs> we've recently re- seen some retirees out practicing. Ah. Wozniacki and Rodwanska yes. have been out on the court. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> which among them... And not necessarily was in Rodwanska, but any of the retired ladies, um, mm-hmm. do you think is most likely to make a comeback? Uh, and <laughs> which which among them would you be most excited to, to come back? Ooh, that's a great question. I do love that question. I noticed um, that Caro was out on the practice court again. And it's funny because Venus uh, commented on her, I guess she posted it on her wall as well. Venus remarked, it still has the most amazing footwork ever. And um, I'd have to say that of all the women that have recent re- recently retired, the one that's most likely to make a comeback is Caro. Um, I, th- I would love a Caro comeback. I didn't again appreciate her game when she played um she you know another 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 player that just came to mind was like Yelena Yankovic but um you know she also was a backboard she got her one grand slam at the Australian Open you were there that was the year we, we went we saw the semi-final that was the year that you and Wade went and uh, you were right up close to the action mm-hmm. and i think that I don't know. I think I create a narrative in my mind when I watch these Insta stories. And there was something about the way that Kara was striking the ball <laughs> that made me believe that she really missed the competitive side of the sport. And I don't think that she feels that she's done all she can. You know, for for someone like Kara, who was number one in the world and achieved her slam so many years after achieving the number one ranking, um, you know, I think that she can look at... Her career, I don't think that she, she can look at her career with any kind of sense of satisfaction. I think that she feels like she can do something. And it wouldn't surprise me if in the next three to six months we heard, guess what, bitch? <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she went off and I think, doesn't she have, um, she announced some sort of health issue that she is dealing with too, right? I forget what mm-hmm. that is. Um, but yeah, I think when you watch her now or if you were to go back and watch her matches there's there's a certain player i think that 
modeled their game after hers and i would com- see there's a bit of a comparison maybe maybe this player has a bit more um power in her ground strokes but i feel like there's a bit of um of caroline in bianca's game ah okay and uh i feel like caroline as she was you know getting up to that grand slam in 2018 she was mm-hmm. developing a bit more um weapons uh, she was getting a bit more pace on her ground strokes. And then suddenly, you know, she started to um, struggle, I think, after she won the, the slam. And, and then she sort of petered out and, and then announced her retirement. So I was I I was a bit surprised that she decided to retire so early. And maybe she, it was intentional because she was thinking about having a child. And now she's had the child. Something just popped in my head. I think part of the reason why she was retiring was because she is also uh, a person that deals with a particular form of arthritis. Right. And so, like... That's what it was. I'm not sure whether... I'm not knowledgeable in this domain, but whether that form of arthritis can be managed and, you know, just the ins and outs of just being on the tour and having to deal with that i'm not sure whether she'd be able to come back and be as effective and as successful as she can be but if she is then she's the one you know i'm sorry i love you aga and for your time you were really fun to watch crouching on the court with your drop shots and this and that but i'm not sure i think that the game has evolved past your time Ooh, that's that's mean. No, I think it. I mean, it's <laughs> it's. I think there's there's a certain point where um, there's too many players who can beat a person that, um, and the and those players I think come to a realization of that as well that maybe a comeback is not uh, appropriate. I someone like Kim Kleisters, who's I think thirty eight or approaching thirty eight, um, still seems to look good and just needs to narrow her margins and and find the court more often um Mm -hmm. but she hits the ball like so amazingly that she her comeback can be legit i mean she's lost i think every match that she's had in in her comeback (laughs) which has only really been five she's only had five matches in like 18 months but Mm -hmm. um we continue to want to watch her and i agree with you i would love to see a carol moment comeback yeah, that'd be fierce. That would be so fierce. Um, okay, is it my turn? Yeah, we're three down, two to go. Okay. This is more of a ge- generic question, but I think it is a question that you, both you and I can appreciate, being tennis fanatics and having grown up with the sport. Social media has come up as a new element in the lives of players, both on the WTA and ATP tour. You and I, being active on social media, follow players' stories. Some players are more active than others. And a lot of players have talked about the mental health aspect of the sport and how social media has had a negative impact on them personally. Like you think about Sloane Stevens and all of the disgusting awful negative mean dms that slide into these players inboxes daily but there's also the side of you know reaching your fans growing an audience we talk about Layla going from 10,000 followers to a couple hundred thousand followers within the matter of a few days at the u.s open so what do you think the impact is of social media on the sport is it an overall positive or overall negative impact? What do you think? Oh God! I know it's tough, eh? I'm that's sorry. A tough that, one. That's a very like Miss Universe question <laughs> that I threw that I threw at you. I mean, we post uh, on our social, um, and sometimes get some negative comments from certain people related <laughs> to related to certain players, which <laughs> we don't always understand because they don't really make any sense and. <laughs> Um, but we're obviously not the players. We're just people talking about the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, social media plays a lot of, has a lot of functions for the players. Obviously, it's a way not only to promote 
the support or, or the sport, but it promotes obviously their involvement in the sport. It's a mm-hmm. way for them to um, leverage their endorsements to their audience. So I think it's part of them, you know, making additional money in connection to the sport. Mm-hmm. Um and there are players who engage with it um, more regularly, as you said. I mean, that's how we've been able to connect with every player that we've interviewed. Yes, exactly. Um, some of you need to pay a bit more attention. <laughs> Sloan being one of them. We are <laughs> we are messaging you only nice things. Um, and, and we know you have a connection to Toronto. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, for people in the public sphere which tennis players are it's always going to be um a balance and um filtering out the noise and the negativity to focus on the positive aspects of what you can do through social media and really sharing your life like however you want um Mm -hmm. you know uh through your social media and then sharing your love of the sport and your success in the tournaments with fans did i answer a question at all oh my god i feel like it's a miss universe winning answer (laughs) (laughs) but i i gave the two minute answer and they only get 30 seconds (laughs) still lots lots to chew on there yeah i mean i spend more time on my dog's social media than my own and and our tennis podcast social media (laughs) i am glued to every move <laughs> on our <laughs> social media. Yeah. And um I mean it's necessary. It's a, I think that navigating through social media is learning to navigate through social media is a requirement for anyone. It doesn't have to be in tennis, it can be in your personal life. Um and knowing how to use it as a tool for for positive as opposed to negative because it can really exacerbate some already kind of you know, sensitive issues. Yeah. I mean, think about somebody like Novak. Naomi. And Naomi. Yeah, Yeah. think about those two and think about the kinds of things that you assume people would say to them on their social media. Yeah. 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 When, When you and I beat ourselves up over being honest and, you know, listen, we, I'm not trying to water down what Jason and I say, um, but I do believe we're never mean, but we are cheeky. We're tongue in tongue in cheek and tongue in cheeky, so, tongue in cheeky. And sometimes you and I say to ourselves, "Oh, did we go a bit too far with that comment?" But when we saw the um, comments that were sliding into, for example, Sloan Stevens' DM, we're like, "Wow, that's a whole nother level of just rude and yeah. mean." So not yeah. cute. Not cute. Not a cute sitch. Okay, question four for me. Mm. Connects back to this idea of being surpassed or passed by in the competitive space of tennis. Okay. So um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about like the next tier of guys. So this Mm. is about the men's tour. Okay. We talked about Sinner and Rude and perhaps her catch is in there and I would throw in, I guess, Berrettini, although he might be of the now, but I think we have like Zverev, Medvedev, Rublev, Tsitsipas. Yes. And then team when he's back, he's going to sort of maybe float in the middle. Yes. Yes. And then those other guys are the next tier. Okay. Tier two. And I think you've put Dennis and Felix. They're still a little bit pat. (laughs) They're like tier three. They're not even on the shelf. (laughs) Gotcha. They're like, like dusty. <laughs> There's always a chance, I think, of one of those lower tier guys mm. passing by w- one of the new guard. So who do you think has a chance of doing that? Who do you so, have, who has a chance of leapfrogging? We didn't uh, we talk about frogs earlier. <laughs> um, one of the guys in the first tier, the Zverev, the Tsitsipas, the Rublevs, the Medvedevs. So which guy from the tier of which includes Hubi? Who else? Rude. No. Zinner. Berrettini. Mm, no. Berrettini's okay. made 
so Berrettini. Yes. I, I won't answer uh, the question for you. But <laughs> giving a, a little plug, Berrettini has made a semifinal at the US Open and a final at Wimbledon. And Rublev hasn't made past a quarter, the quarterfinal of a slam. Okay. You know what? Facts are facts. So thank you for sharing those. <laughs> I don't mean to throw shade at Berrettini, but if you're going to ask me to choose a player from that group to potentially leapfrog their way into the top tier, I think the most talented player in that entire group is, I think it's a tie. I think it's Yannick and I think it's um, Hubi. Because both of them have, first of all, Yannick has youth on his side. He is so good at his age. And remember when we talked on our podcast about his exponential growth? He literally went from one year of playing tennis at like (laughs) rec level East York (laughs) (laughs) to being the next gen champion. And now he's won a couple of tournaments this year. So we joked on our podcast last week that this time next year, we're going to be like, Yannick Sinner wins, you know, his second or third Masters series title and perhaps maybe a Grand Slam. So I think that of that crew, who um, Sinner is the one to potentially leapfrog his way into the top three. But I will say I think he's got two years. Next yeah. year's is going to be, I think... I think if you take a look at the lifespan of a tennis player, you know, immediate success kind of follows with like, you know, a mediocre year. I think he's going to win a couple of mid-level tournaments, but he's got to kind of, you know, have that year for him to really have a resurgence to the very top of the sport. I also really like Hubi. I love Hubi's all-court game, and he's got a mental toughness that I think is, uh, I think that is unparalleled. So personally, I th- if you were to ask me to put my money on uh, two of those players to head into the top tier, it would be Hubi and it would be Yannick. Yeah, I think those are those are good choices. Berrettini, he's sort of, you know, fiddling around in there. Um, yeah. And Rude has won multiple two hundred and fifty events. <laughs> but you know any one of those guys can become you know the rublev and move from 250 to 500 events <laughs> yeah you know i i i think that rude needs to have a lot of um he needs to have a lot of factors on his side in order for him to be a grand slam champion he's got to have a great draw he's got to be on his best surface and I think that he's got to bank on players that are just naturally better than him not playing great that day. Whereas if you look at someone like Yannick and someone like Kubi, both of them are so talented naturally that if they hone their skills, they could become a person that even on their worst day could get to a final of a slam, Mm -hmm. is my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Kubi, I love just the free-flowing motion of his ground strokes yeah it's just so beautiful and yeah i i have the same picks as you in terms of guys who could i don't know that they would necessarily leapfrog but they would come to join that crew they would come to Mm. join the zverev Tsitsipas, rublev medvedev group of players who are contending Mm, okay yeah I agree. Right. Are we on are we on question five or this is this is, my fourth? This is the last question. <gasps> okay. We're I've got sorry a fun... it's about to end. I know, it was so good. This <laughs> was fun. I like it. Yeah. I like just riffing off these questions. Okay, my last question is a fun question. So as everyone knows, Jason is on a well deserved vacation. He's got a couple of weeks with his hubby and his dog. He is a workhorse, not only in the tennis court, but also in his professional life. Oh and oh, are you embarrassed that I'm giving you such a glowing? I'm <laughs> blushing. <laughs> he is, and it's a deserved vacation for sure. So here's my fun question. You are heading up to Quebec for a vacay in La Belle Provence at a gorgeous, gorgeous fall cottage in the middle mm. of 
Quebec paradise. So we're like the leaves are turning. It's nice and cozy. You've got your warm wool sweaters. You've got your like, um, you know, your your soup, <laughs> your hearty soup on the stove. My northern exposure T-shirt. I'm wearing. <laughs> yeah, your northern exposure T-shirt. You are allowed to invite five players with you on your trip. Uh, it can be any combination of female and male players on the tour. Ooh. Who who are you inviting, and why? Oh, <laughs> assuming this player has never listened to our show, I'll be inviting Mugu. <laughs> because you have written her off in this particular episode. Uh, I will invite her because she's fun and we would be able to clearly make some cool Instagram videos that one that I would want to star in just so that I could get some traction on her <laughs> IG. Um, I think we would have to have Jeannie there. Mm, yes. Because uh, she will bring all of the food that I <laughs> like to eat that Wade wouldn't let us order. <laughs> the, oh yeah the chicken <laughs> we won't we won't order from where she usually orders but yeah know, the front the, the other fried chicken place because <laughs> we're gay <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um and you know i think she likes pizza she likes to buy that for <laughs> for her fans so she would be there okay um i like it daniel would be there for sure um, because oh. <laughs> he's got that BDE, and I think he would be fun. Okay, so that's three. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> who else would be fun to throw in the mix? You got two players left. I think Tiafo would be fun to hang mm. out with too. Um, mm. and I get to see his bum. <laughs> Not that he'll he'll show it, but I feel like you know we could. Yeah, he would just be fun. Um, and then a fifth player to throw in there. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. So Tiafo Medvedev, Mugu, uh, our girl. Yeah. Jeannie. And uh, another player who I think would be fun in that crew would probably be Vika. Yeah. Yeah. More, more in the in the train of creating some videos. As long as she, you know, we love her son. He's very cute, but she he can't come. She's got to. It's got to just be her. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun weekend. Yeah, a fun weekend. So, so the girls are bunking together. They've got a bunk bed and one like cot. So Mugu, uh, Genie, and um, <laughs> who's the last person? <laughs> Tiafa. Uh, uh, no, Vika, Vika. Vika. The girls are in one bunk, and then. Daniil and Tiafo are sharing a <laughs> a bed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And but now that I think of it, I would probably take Medvedev out of there. I feel like he'd be out of place. Yeah, I think so too. I don't yeah. need to have fun with that crew. I would take any recommendation you have for a fifth to throw in um, there. For probably a, fifth. a probably a male player. It's got to be a guy, or it's got to be a um a. Tiafo would roll with the girls. I think he'd be fine. Yeah. But okay, I'm gonna say another male player that would be cool, <laughs> only because we just talked about him. Um, Tommy Paul. Agreed. Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul's already friends with Tiafo, so they're cool. So if they want to do their own boys stuff, they can. And then you and the girls can have like your masks and braid each other's hair. Yeah. And then you can <laughs> get to get you can get together at night for like a nice dinner. Yeah, and we can play some cool music and dance to, to some tunes in the in the living room while we yeah. have a nice cocktail. Yeah, get hammed. Hammed, exactly. <laughs> some we'll have some uh vuv. <laughs> wow, fancy. Fancy. Vuv, yeah. You're not gonna have a like a, a Canadian? <laughs> no. I mean they're they're paying for the vuv. Just to be clear. <laughs> I'm paying for nothing. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah. Okay, well, we're about to end. This is the no. final question. I'm very sad about it. I had two questions, um, but I feel like my the question that I'm going to save and not ask today 
could be something that we cover in a, a future episode. Okay. Um, but obviously there's been a lot of great stories in 2021. Yeah. Um, both on the men's and women's side. Yeah. Um, removing Emma, because Emma was obviously a big story and could be an easy choice. So mm-hmm. I'm removing Emma. Uh, mm-hmm. What has been the most surprising story for you in 2021? Girl! And then what story have you enjoyed the most from 2021 assuming that those are two different things i immediately think of layla the layla story is one that i've enjoyed the most following for obvious reasons you and i have followed her and had the opportunity to interview her in april um a little bit more about that in a moment and uh yeah, Layla's my favorite story, for hands down. So when, just to give some backstory about Layla, Jason and I, in our endless, endless pursuit of improving this podcast, have at a time reached out to a lot of, um, you know, the players, publicists, and like kind of teams. And we were lucky enough to secure an interview with Layla. And at the time... I'll be honest, I said to myself, you know, Layla's an up-and-coming Canadian tennis player. Would it have been nice to have someone with the same stage, like world stage presence like Vika? Absolutely. I wouldn't have said, we obviously would not have said no to like a Kerber or a Mugu, right? But, you know, being a Canadian podcast, when we secured Layla, it was awesome. And she was just such a wonderful surprise because she was so mature during that interview and it is just insane to me that the goals that she shared with us on that show have truly come to fruition now her top 10 goal hasn't come to fruition yet but there were a lot of question marks about her ability to back up her u.s open finals performance and unlike emma layla managed to do that in Indian Wells. Her loss to Shelby Rogers was literally a point here or there. Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone on the tour, fans across the world are looking at Layla as like, okay, this girl can do it. She can really contend even at the most difficult and highest level of tournaments with a packed field, right? Because look at it. She beat Kerber, multi-slam champion. She beat... um, Osaka multi-slam champion she beat Sabalenka right who was like at the moment poised to be the winner to win the whole thing and who uh, Sakari Svitolina sorry Svitolina who had Mm -hmm. won the bronze medal at the Olympic Games so I just every time that I see Layla do well and I'm sure you feel the same you obviously have an opportunity to share your thoughts and feelings it's like we saw you before it happened and it was it's been such a nice kind of end note to an already stellar year for her and for us so hands down Layla is my favorite and most interesting story of 2021 yeah I mean not much else to add I think I'll remember uh, us in Montreal on the Friday night choosing <laughs> choosing not to go out and instead choosing to watch her match against Naomi mm-hmm. and then subsequently seeing who her opponent was and going, ooh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure she's going to win this one. Like we, f- we were very excited when she beat Osaka, but weren't sure if she was going to win the next one and then the next <laughs> one and then the next one. And to be able to back it up in the way that she has and now go into matches knowing that she she can probably win any match on an, any given day versus her being perhaps an underdog is yeah it's a cool transformation to have experienced in light of what you just shared which is the fact that we've s- spoken to her and we continue to sort of have a connection with her um, through social media and having that positive connection <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with fans, so yeah. And she it's... wished us luck in doubles. Like yeah, she <laughs> she wished us luck in a you know GLTA tournament. She's just so sweet. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah, we're well now that she's nineteen, and if we ever get <laughs> to go back to Montreal when she's there, we'll buy her a cocktail. Yeah, we'll have some time and have a little drink. Yeah, I know. I know the first question I want to ask her if we get to speak to her again. Oh but yeah, I'm gonna Are save you... that. I'm gonna save that. Ooh, okay. <laughs> well, this was fun. I enjoyed it. That was that was so much fun. I enjoyed not knowing what you were gonna ask and like, you know, just kind of thinking on the spot and sharing with our listeners our commentary. Yeah, let us know what you think of this kind of episode that's a little bit different and uh you know if you have ideas for future shows let us know hit us up in that ig yeah and until next time jason enjoy your vacation thanks i i'm in day 10 of it (laughs) (laughs) all right that's right okay bye (laughs) we're here for your tennis tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe, and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.